Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available, unprospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk Radio. I'm excited to be uh, in the studio today. I've been playing hooky for a few weeks, uh, doing the show on the road, in the office, at home. I've kind of done it anywhere I could, it seems like, except in the studio. So we're back in here today, and uh, I've got uh, two fantastic guests, one who's going to be here with me in the studio, and then one that will be calling in the second half of the show. Just in case this is the first time that you're tuning in and listening uh, to Talent Talk, uh, let me give you a little rundown on how it works. Basically, we, we really center the the conversation and the show around topics of talent, uh, recruitment, management, leadership development, and company culture, and of course, uh, my favorite thing, uh, employee engagement. And these are all really timely topics, of course, for business leaders from CEOs to HR pros, um, entrepreneurs, really anyone who's... Got, got some people to lead. They're going to be worried about these things. So I hope that as you tune in and listen uh, here today and uh, each week, uh, whether it's here live or maybe if you're doing the, the podcast on iTunes or through iHeartRadio, that you know you take something away that can help you, whether it's at work later on today or down the maybe next week or something you might use at home. That's what we really want is for your, our guests to share some knowledge that you can use in a positive way. So I, you know, I've personally met so many of these inspiring leaders. I got to have a great lunch here with the one we're about to have on and usually what happens is i ask them a million questions i get to learn everything they know and then that's all that's where it goes just in my head so this show really hopes to expand that that our conversation can be heard by other people and you can pick up the the best tidbits that you think work for you uh, as I mentioned, the show is uh, live here every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can uh, find us on the TuneIn. Uh, you can go to TuneIn on uh, your browser, or there's a there's a nice little uh, app that works on any of the phones, and listen live. But most people actually love to tune in via the podcast on iTunes or through the iHeartRadio app. Either one, you type in the Talent Talk there, and you can join the 275,000 people last week that listened to at least one episode. And a big thank you and shout out to all of them who are uh, listening to the show and, and enjoying it on a regular basis. Uh, don't forget, if you have a question for either of my guests, uh, you can submit them via Twitter. So if you're on Twitter, or if you're not, it takes like two seconds to do it. But uh, type in your question and add at PeopleG2 to that or use the hashtag Talent Talk and my producer, Mike, will get it. He's anxiously awaiting your questions right now and he'll send them over to me and then we'll try to ask them. And, uh, and you can also make you know, guest suggestions or anything else that you'd love to tell us, that's a great uh, place to do it. Um, so my guests today are Kathy uh, Hammond. She's a talent assessment account manager for PSI Services. Her and I actually uh, had the opportunity to speak together at a Disrupt HR event. That's how we met. And then uh, after the commercial break, we'll have uh, Tamara Chandler on, the CEO and founder of People Firm, LLC. So let's go ahead and get to uh, my first guest, 
Kathy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself and about your, what your company's doing. Well, um, as you said, I'm an account manager in the talent assessment uh, division of PSI. And um, I've, I've spent the majority of my career in business development. And uh, But, you know, there was something that I really wanted to know more. I had been in commercial security sales for, for a long time. But I was always curious, like, what propelled companies forward? What, what propelled human beings forward to, to be able to accomplish? accomplish things. So I had studied business coaching in uh, South Africa, and even that wasn't enough. So I went on and got my master's in organizational management. Um, I later joined uh, PSI, and I've been with PSI for uh, two years now. PSI's been um, around uh, since 1946, one of the oldest talent assessment companies in the United States. And we provide uh, selection testing and leadership development services for our clients. So you sound like a lifelong learner, which is really the audience that we're going out after and enjoy uh, work, working with and talking to people that like to learn, like to new, you know, never quite have a uh, their their thirst quenched for knowledge. Is, is that how you describe oh, abs- yourself? Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's there's no other way to do it. So, what's so important about, or, or what do you kind of hope to find, you know, in that area of pre-employment testing? Where are people really kind of finding their value to that? You know, the most important thing about the for selection testing is really being able to help companies identify top-tier candidates to really, you know, to, to separate, you know, those that, you know, that may have the, the ability but maybe not willing to do the, the job. Um, it is so important now, especially since so competitive out there, that you really have the right team. And so you want to be, and you can test for that to, to make mm-hmm. sure that you've got the right people that, um, you know, really have the intellectual horsepower to do the job uh, as well as the willingness to do the job. And that's a really great point because I so often, if you just think about my own company, you get people that are just, I mean, on the willing scale, they're off the charts, but they don't have the skills, they don't have the abilities to consistently do the job over time. And then you have people that are perfectly capable, right? That are just maybe off the charts smart and, and get it, but they're lazy or unmotivated or this is just something temporary for them. They're not really engaged or motivated. So you, what you're saying is what, sort of the, the testing you guys are doing is to help give some clarity around those areas. Do people have all of those different pieces of the puzzle that an employer might be looking for? Yeah, you know, in fact, you know, there's been a lot of studies uh, around this and showing, you know, like if you test early in the uh, recruiting hiring process, um, you know, because time is also limited. I mean, that's also, you know, huge uh, commodity. And so that if you are not spending time with, um, you know, individuals interviewing people that are just not going to make the cut, this gives time time back to your life to be able to actually pursue those candidates that are going to do very well for you. So, yeah, so this is, um, you know, selection is a um, is a huge strategy for organizations to be able to build, like, the best teams. Right. And and does that take a long time? I mean, to really, so you get a client come in the door at, say, an advertised company, and they're hiring on a regular basis. Is there a certain amount of customization that really goes into figuring out which tests are going to be best for them? Well, you know, this is what's unique about PSI. We 
since 1946, we've authored about 1,800 plus assessments, and we have thousands of validation studies behind those assessments. And so what we do is a modular approach. So we take, we'll look at the particular job, and we, so, and we'll take the various tests that we've already authored and be able to apply them for that specific job. And this way you're getting a customized approach uh, without that customized price tag, without having to actually develop it from scratch. Right. And that, that's important. So you said authored 1,800 assessments. So for maybe for people, I know I'm, I'm not totally sure if I understand what that means. Maybe you could talk about what does that, what does that mean, your authored an assessment? Sure. Yeah, we have, um, we have a team of uh, um, industrial and organizational psychologists and have since, of course, 1946. And authoring means that they have actually developed the test. They've written each of the items that are on the, you know, for the questions that are on the test, and, and they have actually developed that. So that means that's the, what uh, authored means. Okay, I got it. So then, you know... Do you have eighteen hundred because you're seeing that over you know over time do things change do you know expectations change qualifications change? because you think about it, ten years ago even fifteen years ago we people would come into the workforce and we would be training them how to use let's say Microsoft Office now we just expect that they know how to use it right so things do change our expectations as employers what we want people to do so is that the reason for the to have so many or is that because of the so many different job types well, actually. You know, when you talk about something like, um, you know, Microsoft suite of products, um, that's, you can test for skills. That's skills. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Now we also, of course, test for skills, but you know, what we have is we have about 193 core behavioral and cognitive tests. And so, of course, you know, intelligence doesn't change over the course of, you know, humankind. <laughs> I mean, smart is smart. And, uh, and work attitudes, your work attitude is also not going to be, you know, affected because, you know, once you get that employee on, you can train them for a lot of things. But what you can't train them for is being intelligent, having that intellectual horsepower, and having the right work attitudes. That's what you're testing for. Now, does it also, do you look into different granular areas, maybe on emotional intelligence or, uh, you know, because we look at someone could be highly intelligent, but maybe be very keen to be a CEO as opposed to being the VP of sales, let's say. Right. Yeah. You know, we have, um, and especially in our leadership uh, testing, uh, test uh, assessments, uh, we have a number of assessments for that ex- that more executive level testing. So that you then you start looking at all the various competencies and, you know, d- and differences that you would that say somebody in a customer service role, per- perhaps. Right. So, yeah. So, no, we have, we, you know, we have all that available as well. Right. And then if you're looking at... Um you're talking about kind of executive level, and then there's entry level people as well. Correct. And so maybe what you're looking at for them might be, you know, obviously different, or maybe more. Is it more in depth, or is it just different when you're looking at an executive level assessment versus maybe an entry level? Yeah. No, no. Higher stakes position requires uh, more thorough vetting of that particular candidate, than, you know, than someone else, because you know traditionally some of those roles they're going to they're already uh, high turnover. I mean, and mm-hmm. the expectation is there. Uh, you know, fast food restaurants, you know, uh, retail, and, and so on. Um, you already expect that turn. Over, but when you start getting into the higher level roles, uh, you're going to start looking for differences in you know in each of those candidates um, that's going to be applicable to that you know that particular position. So we use some different uh, tools when, as we're bringing in people. We will typically do a strengths finders and give the applicant what their strengths are, 
I will usually give them my strengths as well, so that they, you know, kind of feel like it's fair if I know what their strengths are. Here's mine, mm-hmm. and we do. We'll do some discs sometimes uh, based on the position, especially for sales and different things like that. Mm-hmm. So if we look at those types of tests, and most people are generally, you know, familiar with those. Um, how does that differ? The information that you're getting from those types of things with what you guys are doing. Well, there could be some overlap depending upon the, right. the, the test itself. But again, going back to the, to the studies and, and, you know, data, data is, you know, is valid for, for a reason. You are looking at tests that are behavioral plus cognitive that are specific to the job are the most powerful predictors of performance. And so if you're only doing something on a behavioral site, you're only getting half the picture. Right. of that individual. Right. And so that's why it's critical to have all of those elements in the selection process. So is it sort of like, um, you know, knowing the difference between are they a fast runner and will they run the race correctly, right? If someone is, uh, let's say, can run for a long time, they might be good at a marathon, but there's so much that goes into it that other than just being able to run. Can you manage yourself? Can you have a certain level of strategy? Can you, you know, apply all these other things other than just than just running? I may be oversimplifying here, but looking at things from a deeper standpoint, when you're looking at traits, whether or not they can run fast is just one part of it. Sure. As, as Are they coachable? Can they be, you know, can they be strategic? Things like that. Is that, And that's kind of what you guys are offering is that ability to look deeper into those other subsets of, of things that somebody needs to have. Well, yes, because then we're looking at the willingness to run. Right. Right. Are they? Are they? Will, will they get off the couch? Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you also authored a book, uh, "The Road to," and is it N E or is it Knee? I'm not. Wasn't sure. Knee. Road to Knee, and that's spelled N E, mm-hmm. not uh, not like the the thing on your body, and so, which is also about goal setting and, and uh, attainment. So maybe you could share a little bit about the book and and kind of you know what was your intent in 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 having that book and what you were expecting people to get out of it sure yeah no that that, that's great uh the yeah the road to to knee uh was born out of my studies um in um in south africa for business coaching and so it's an allegory uh about uh about a guy just in every every person um who isn't where he wants to be and doesn't know how to get where he wants to go because he doesn't know that things are possible and so but you know they they say in me all things are possible and so it's not just a story about sam the the main character but rather it's also a workbook to actually take you step by step on being able to achieve any goal that that you wish mm-hmm. well that sounds great and in our our where can our, our listeners find that? Is that available on, on Amazon? Yes, or it yeah, is Amazon, okay, Barnes & Noble, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and don't forget, we do create a blog of uh, kind of a summary of our conversations, and we do place mm-hmm. that on peopleg2.com. So we'll have a link there for you. If you don't have a pen or a pencil to jot that down, we will have a link there. Mm-hmm. Now, undoubtedly, every company has roadblocks that you know they rise and they keep you know from recognizing maybe those possibilities or threats of the future. So... What can they do to get around these these roadblocks and move forward you know, as it relates to, you know, your experiences? You know, there was a company that I had worked for for a number of years uh, when I was in living in Florida. And they had been in business for 37 years. And they had been a leader in the, in the industry. And this was in the wholesale alarm monitoring uh, industry. And they had adopted a new business model. Uh, within about four to five years, the company 
imploded, went out, went out of business. And I think one of the, the single largest mistakes that they made during that whole process is that they didn't plan for success. They had everything there working for them. And in the end, that was the thing that undermined them the most. And I think a lot of us get short-sighted that we, we don't believe. We, we don't believe what is possible. Mm-hmm. And, and that also takes place in organizations. We don't, we don't trust in our own abilities and our people's abilities. And if we did that a little bit more, I think that you know, a lot of organizations would see themselves transform overnight. Well, it's a really fun exercise to talk about what if and to get your staff talking about that. And the what ifs don't have to be negative. I mean, sometimes those are relevant conversations, Mm -hmm. but they can be what if we really did succeed? What if we got that, you know, $100 million contract or whatever it is? How how would we handle that? What would we do? What would need to change? You know, what are the, and those are great conversations to have with people Mm -hmm. because undoubtedly they start thinking about things that, your company could do or that they they need to be successful that you can do right now right Right. you don't have to wait for that hundred million dollar contract to come you could do them right now and make things better for everybody and have that in place and be ready to 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 succeed when that comes like kind of what you're saying yeah, and you, you could even see that in, in my book, as you, if you read through the, toward the, the back with the actual steps. And that's, but that's how all, you know, entities should be approaching everything. It's like, where do we want to go? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's limitless where you, where you can go. So it's just, but where you start from where you are, and then you just put that foot in front of you and then just keep going. Right. Yeah, and, and it's, uh, and it's always good to remember, you know, you kind of get that example of those. Uh, they had everything that the company had everything they needed except maybe that plan for that success. And that's if you can have those conversations, if you can remember to pivot and make changes as you go along. Not to, you don't always have to stay on the same path <laughs> if it's maybe working too well or not working well enough to make adjustments and changes. And those are those are usually pretty big um Pretty big things that most companies that are being successful are doing on a regular basis. Now, are there other similarities between companies that you see that are using your type of service, or maybe specifically your service, and those that aren't? Have you ever looked at that kind of a analysis? I mean, do you see people are being more successful with their goals, with their um, what they're trying to do, or with their keeping people longer? I mean, are there any sort of, you know what I mean, those positive attributes that you see for companies that are actively looking at their people this way. Uh, you know, uh, absolutely. And especially the ones that actually track the metrics um, of, you know, having used our, you know, our, our assessments. Uh, we have one very large um, employer here in California that tracks their, their metrics right down to how much more of a net annual benefit do they receive, uh, you know, after, you know, from that employee, how much more are they going to produce, whether it's in terms of, you know, cost savings, uh, increased revenue, um, you know, uh, you know, increased performance, you know, um, you know, re- reduction in training time, and so on, because they've selected the right employees, and so they'll track down and you know to you know, like how many dollars that's going to generate in addition to what they would have had they not tested. So um, yeah, we have a you know a number of our, our clients have been with us for decades, mm-hmm. and you know, and they do this because you know, they keep coming back because they know that they're are able to identify those those candidates that are going to be able to produce more. And in the end, that's really what every organization needs. You know, right. So, Is there a baseline? I mean, so in my industry with background checks, the kind of the baseline that everyone thinks of is, well, we're going to do a criminal search. So that's the one thing we're always going to 
do, and mo- most most companies follow that uh, that train of thought. Is there a baseline for your industry for your tests? Is there something that you know is always included that people should always be looking at as at least a starting point? No, um, you know we we look the way that we approach this, and um, is that and because you do need that legal defensibility, you have candidates that may take some tests and they'd look at this and come back and say, you know, I didn't do well on the test. You didn't select me for that, but that test was not relevant to this position. You could have an, an issue on your hands, or it is discriminatory. So, and, and that's you know why we look at each of the job descriptions, and then we will make those recommendations. Our IO psychologists will also conduct transportability studies to ensure that the tests that we are recommending are in fact measuring what you expect it to, mm-hmm. and that they're not going to be discriminatory in any way. So, no, there's no standard tests that we would apply for every single position. Each position is treated differently in all cases. Yeah, and that's good to know because it it really is a subjective thing, kind of based on the person, based on the um, the position, and of course, even the company as well and the industry. There's so many factors in there that people might really need to think about that they need a company like yours to help them do that. And one of the things you know, we talked about your book a little bit, and we talked about your kind of thirst for knowledge. Is I'm wondering if there's the book that you're reading right now that you might share with us. Yes. Um, the book that I'm currently reading, and I actually just started reading, I'm, I'm probably three chapters in, and it's called What Are You Waiting For? by Kristen Muller. And her, the, the premise of this book is really, you know, it's like you're getting one shot at this. And if you're going to wait for all the right conditions to be able to do anything, you know, you'll never do anything because there's never the right time. And except that the right time really is now. Right. Because that's all you have. Right, right. And and we've heard that message, I think, from lots of great leaders. It's, you know, to there is no better time than right now. You, can, you know, waiting isn't going to change anything. Um, and we've heard this advice even from in software. A lot of times they'll say the companies that wait to get their product absolutely perfect to get that app or that software perfect, they never do well. Because then someone else has already come along and taken that market and, and, and replaced them. Um, getting it good enough is 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 usually a good enough starting point to start right and then you can refine and go but at least now you're going right i mean you're actually you're moving the pedals you're moving the tire things are moving now because you've actually started as opposed to waiting for everything to be perfect just the right opportunity which is usually the excuses i hear from people that are waiting to become entrepreneurs well you know and it's it's also the whole thing about testing too with 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 what we do with the selection testing because you're bringing in the employees that you know have the ability and the willingness train them on everything else Mm -hmm. you know it's they are good enough if they can pass that hurdle and so and then the rest is is really up to up to you but really no for for but for life that's that's exactly how everything should be it's like you know why wait do it now right Mm -hmm. right so um, another question we always love to ask our our guests um if we have the the time to do it is uh, was there a particular person in your life you feel like had a really kind of influential um you know impact on your leadership ability your kind of you know who you are as a person within the company you mean someone who's in, who influenced in, you it just in general in general yeah teacher uh, or an old you know an old two, boss of a parent i mean you know two yeah, two two three people actually All right. um my um uh, high school english teacher mrs robinson and I don't even know if she's if she's still alive these these days. And she believed in me 
um, when I didn't. She actually submitted uh, a short story that I wrote to a short story contest that I was too afraid to and didn't even think I had a shot at it. And uh, and I won first, first prize with that. And, and then the second one uh, is Amelia Earhart. Um, hmm. And I had done a lot of studies with her, and, and my father had actually been asked by the Department of Public Safety on the island of Saipan, because we had lived on Guam for, for a while, uh, to conduct the investigation into uh, Amelia Earhart's missing. And, uh, and so, so there was a lot of stuff that I really learned more about her as a person. So, so that was pretty remarkable life that she led. And and how is it that you ended up, uh, you know, living in Guam? What's the story there? Oh, my uh, father was director of loss prevention for duty free shoppers in Mid Pacific, and so wow. yeah, so he he took us out there right after I graduated from high school. Well, that's a fast. I, I would have guessed military or something. So I'm glad yeah, I asked. No, yeah. civilian. Yeah, no, yes, it was it was fantastic experience for duty free. Wow, that must have. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, how can people, um, you know, reach out and learn more about your company if they're interested in uh, in, in learning more? Oh, yeah, definitely. Our, our website, our web address is uh, ta.psionline.com, and that'll take you straight to our talent assessment uh, division. Um, and uh, you can reach me at 818-847-2090. And again, we'll have all that information on the uh, blog recap. Uh, you know, last question, uh, maybe you could summarize. Was there any particular thing that you think people should should have remembered or maybe take back with them to, to you know, back in their days or in their companies right now? Yeah, selection testing makes you money. It does not cost you money. Maybe initially up, up front, but it is going to make, when it's done right, it makes you money. And because it's a science, you want to be able to deal with those scientists. And of course, PSI has some of the finest uh, IO psychologists. Um, and of course, I'm, I'm biased but, uh, <laughs> on, on staff. So, um, so those are some of the key points. Well, people should check you guys out. I and mean, we can really appreciate having you on the show and, and uh, glad you could come into the studio today and talk with us. And we'd love to have you come back at some point and give us an update on how things are going. Oh, that'd be great, Chris. Thanks so much. All right. Uh, we'll have uh, Tamara Chandler, who will be joining me after this quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. 
Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Are you ready to tap into the power of social media to promote your business? It's easy to get social with Turn Up the Volume, the award-winning social media marketing professionals who know how to get results. Drive web traffic, boost sales, get social today. Visit www.turnupthevolume.com. That's turnupthevolume.com. Wow. Marketing predictions are out for 2015, and marketing success is changing. Did you know that Google is now actively tracking your business and personal brand and online reputation? Online and offline marketing has changed. Google is driving more than 85% of your traffic. And if your brand is inconsistent or has poor mobile usability, your rankings and traffic can suffer in 2015. To learn how your business is currently viewed and what can be done to improve your brand's visibility and authority, contact SunUp Group for a free marketing analysis. It could be a business game changer. Visit www.sunupgroup.com today or call 877-609-3840, extension 700. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, uh, you can visit talenttalkradio.com and listen to past episodes there as well as on iTunes and the podcast app on anything that has to do with iHeart. You can find us there. And we'd love to have you uh, shoot us a note on Twitter. Let us know how things are going, uh, what you think, what questions we should be asking, what guests we should be talking to, and keep the conversation going there. You can also send us a question for my next guest if you have one, and we'll be happy to try to work it into the show. But let's go ahead and get there. Uh, we have uh, Tamara Chandler, who's the CEO and founder of People Firm. Uh, Tamara, welcome to the show. Well, hi. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and your company, what you guys do, and uh, kind of what you're seeing here uh, in HR for 2016. All right. Well, let me talk a little bit about People Firm. Um, we're a management consultancy headquartered up here in the northwest corner of Seattle that support clients across the country. Um, and we get up every day worrying about what we call the win-win. How do you drive inspired people, driving inspiring performance? Um, and so the way we do that is we partner with our clients to really think about what are those key drivers in performance, starting with strategy and then connecting that to culture, structure, people, and the nature of the work that we do. And, and we call those our five rings of high performance, and that really centers a lot of how we think about working with clients and partnering and building great solutions. Um, regarding me personally, um, I've been helping clients drive strategic change for about 27 years. Some people are often surprised to learn that I actually started as an engineer, and my career took a few turns from there, fueled by an MBA along the way. Um, but I've been doing uh, consulting work. I started in the early 90s with what we would now call re-engineering, but at that time, Hammer and Champy hadn't even written the book yet. So I've um, been working with clients to really drive strategic change and to build inspired teams for a lot of years now. Well, that's a that's a great story. I mean, I always love it when we talk to people that, you know, are kind of in a drastically different uh, beginning than maybe where they are right now. And certainly going from an engineering uh, background and starting point to, to where you are now is, is 
sure it's kind of a, has the beginnings of a fascinating story. Are, are there certain things that you're seeing in HR in 2016 that you you might identify as, as trends or things that you know people should be thinking about and talking about? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think if it goes back to sort of those five rings that I mentioned earlier. So if you think about strategy, culture, structure, people, and work, I think what HR is really working on is what's their role in building high-performing organizations. And so I think they're exploring the topics like how do they help build a purpose-driven organization so that the people in the organization are really connected to the big thing that that company is all about. Or how do they build cultures in which their teams can thrive. So, you know, that means creating agile cultures that are safe for people to do great work. How do they manage and help rethink the organizational structures and how they build teams that can move quickly but also create great jobs for people? And what does that mean as far as spans and layers and all those type of technical questions you get into on structure? And then um, really starting to look at the stuff that I get really jazzed about is how do we start to question some of the old thinking, you know, um, do we do we challenge the way we've looked at performance management? Do we start to question how we've been measuring and driving engagement? Are, what are those things that have sort of been the anchors in what we've done, and how do we think about them in this sort of new, crazy, VUCA-style world that we all live in? And so, you know, and then finally, how do you create an environment that is collaborative and virtual and always on and all those things that we deal with now that helps people be creative and work together in a, in a great environment to get their work done. Well, it really feels like we're starting to maybe, you know, really challenge some of those old ideas and have some some real changes in there. And we've had some recent guests talk about this, but in a nutshell, the idea that, you know, we're all kind of working in a more of an office setting, and yet the rules of engagement that we're all kind of under or have been under in the past came from the Industrial Revolution, from times when everyone was standing around, you know, making a widget and not standing on a factory line and so you know we keep taking on those rules and accepting them for the next generation because that's all we know and that's all we've ever done and now with you know so the with 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 people changing that mold and, and science and studies and behavioral assessments things like that that really kind of are starting to have maybe that tipping point where we might you know we might we might get people thinking about you know I, this is a challenge I have every day in my company with with people looking from the outside in with us. We work virtual, and I have people every single day ask me, "How do you know they're working? How do you know they're not just goofing off?" And it's like, and I I can answer the question simply, or I can ask them if you have to have your people standing right in front of you to know they're working. I'm pretty sure your company is screwed up. Yeah, something <laughs> yeah. else is wrong. So, you know, there's a there's a deeper answer to your your simple question here. You know, um, but you know, I know you you guys really you know focus in on getting the most out of your talent, and that's really what this show was was kind of really centered on. Why we started, we wanted to talk about how do you get the most out of your people? How do you get the most out of that from that word talent? Um, whether it's to get the best talent to you get once you get them in the door how do you get them to do their best work N- not because you're you know holding the right size carrot in front of them but because they want to do it because it's something as a part of their um real thing so as you've kind of spent your career talking about this maybe you can maybe you can give it to us in a nutshell here and save us from reading 100 books you know what <laughs> what do you suggest that leaders do to get the most out of their talent 
Well, you know, I think it's interesting when you go back to what you were saying earlier about trying to move away from the industrial era. And if you think about what drove so much of that, it was about standardization and conformity, right? How do you have repeatable, you know, what's the famous Henry Ford quote, you can have any color as long as it's black. Right. I think that as we start to really question those things, there's two themes that emerge in that for me. One is this idea of trust. So when you were talking about how do you know, well, you have to trust that your people are doing the right work and that they're showing up and giving their all. And and they have to trust you that you're operating in their behalf and, and creating an environment where they can really thrive and be successful. Um, and then the second big theme for us is this idea of customization. So you can't. there isn't one right answer for all companies. And I think a lot of what came out of that industrial era was this idea of we're going to have one answer for how we do all these things for managing talent and people, which doesn't work. You know, I always say I spend, every time I meet clients, they spend a whole bunch of time talking to me about what's unique about their organization. And then when you start to ask them about how they're executing on certain processes, particularly around talent and people, you find they're all doing it the same. And I'm thinking, why is that? You just explained to me how unique you are. So I think the key thing that leaders have to do, and I mean kind of a group of leaders, uh, is first agree with what is their strategy for their people. What is the promise that they're going to make their people that's unique to their environment, you know, their industry, their culture, their location, the makeup and the maturity of their organization. And then once you get clear on that, then understand, well, where are your gaps? You know, so what do we need to close to deliver on that promise for our people and to be able to be out in the labor market and have a differentiated point of view? You know, come to us because this is the experience we're going to give you and this is why it's important to our environment. And not everyone is going to be a good fit for every company, and that's okay. I think if we can be clear on this is who we are, this is how we show up, this is what's important to us, and deliver on that for our employees, that's huge. So that's kind of at the macro level. I think when you get to the micro level, I think for leaders, you know, how do you get the most out of your talent? The nice thing about stepping away from the industrial era thinking is that we can just strip it back down. And it really comes back to relationships, right? Those, that trust gets to be a one-on-one relationship between me as a leader and my individual employees. And so, you know, if we just start asking really simple questions, what are you working on? How can I help? Where, what do you want to be working on? And how can I help you get there? And if leaders can start to kind of take all the noise out and just get back to that level of dialogue and discussion with our people, I think that takes us a long way and it really can simplify a lot of what we're doing today as well yeah and that also kind of is like counterintuitive to what a manager is supposed to be doing you know making sure everyone's you know working making sure everyone's all showing up on time or whatever like you said those standardized things i know for us you know people may not always be naturally trusting um and so one of the ways in which we counter that is to make sure we have great deals of measurement in place so you know, I, I'm not there to see that, you know, employee X is doing their job at their ho- at their right. home, but I know that work is getting done based on some levels of measurement. And when we went from brick and mortar to virtual, that was really, we had to add the measurement in there to be able to, kn- to, to have that, you know, kind of two-way street with trust. Come to find out that's what we were really missing all along was the measurement component. We probably could have had it yeah. internally, and that's, I think, what right. people mistake you know, people looking busy and walking around the office and shuffling papers and sitting in meetings as, you know, is doing work 
and that's not really what you should be measuring. So, uh, what, what at what level does measurement play into those you know five five circles you talked about? Well, that's really interesting because it it really it can play across all. But I think the most important one is that strategy ring, because what you're talking about is getting really clear on what are what are we about, what are we here to deliver. How do we measure that as an organization? And then how does each person within the company connect or contribute to that? So, you know, you can, in certain disciplines, it can be really easy, right? So you can look at sales and say, well, we want to grow our sales by 10 million next year. And I can take that goal and divide it amongst the sales team and understand how I expect them to contribute. But I think we need to be better at doing that in the disciplines that sometimes are, are a little more opaque in exactly how you connect that. But if people can see, this is what we're about, and here's the things I deliver, whether those are, you know, specific outcomes or activities. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm focused on because that's moving us towards that shared goal. And I think the, you know, when you look at high-performing teams, that connection to strategy is the, is the big driver, the number one driver in performance. And when you look at, you know, the corporate executive board and some of the research that's been done, they've said in many organizations less than 20% of people are actually working on the right stuff. And not because they don't mean to, they just don't know. Or that connection hasn't been made clear to them. Yeah, it, it's shocking to me when people don't stop to communicate what the goals are of the company. Um, at a, like you said, at a macro level, right? What What is the company trying to accomplish? And not just what are our sales goals this year, but, and I, I kind of try to refer back to something that people can remember. It's funny, we call it, what's your BHAG? You know, that Jim Collins, the right, big, right. hairy, audacious Jim goal. Yep. And so what is the big thing the company is trying to do? Because that, that helps, right. too, people understand, are they doing the right work? Are they doing things that matter and that are relevant to where the company's headed? Because very often, you know, the executive level group will understand these things very well, and then nobody else has any clue, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and so you can't expect anybody else to be, you know, rowing in the right direction if they don't know when they're supposed to row and on which boat they're supposed to be on and where they're headed and when they're supposed to get out and all those things because somebody else has got it up in their brain and hasn't bothered to tell anybody else. Right. How often is that that connection to, sorry, I was going to say it's that connection, you know, I'm a pink fan too, so the purpose mastery and autonomy, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you create that purpose so I understand the goal and I understand why it's important, you know, um, I heard um, someone speak a week ago that talked about, you know, your mission statement is the thing you get up every day to do. And do your people get up every day, you know, compelled to do the thing that you said you're about? And I think the tighter that you can make that and the more meaningful it means, for you, you know, it is for your people, then you're really cooking with gas, right? Right. And, that, and that's not always easy to do for companies. I mean... No. If your company makes yellow pencils that kids use in schools, I mean, it's, you know, there's not a lot of sexiness there. So you have to get pretty creative sometimes and really dig deep about what it is that you're doing and how you're affecting right. your clients and or your customers and things like that. So Yeah, I don't know. I think yellow pencils are pretty sexy. I don't know. Maybe it's I'm retro. All right. <laughs> So what are, what are some of the tools that you try to help, you know, equip the companies you work with really you know, help them gauge, you know, the talent that they have? Well, I think there's a couple of things in that. I think it's getting back to the assessing those gaps. If this is where you want to be and this is where you are, I think we come in and really help organizations assess those gaps. And at the same time, 
make a kind of an educational process because, as you said, a lot of us have grown up with kind of norms and practices that are what we know that we're designed with the best intent but really don't deliver the outcomes that we want. And so sometimes I find that through helping organizations assess what that gap is and educate leaders and managers along the way to say why might it look different than what it does today, I think that can be really powerful. So we have, you know, all sorts of assessment tools that we use depending on the nature of the, of the engagement and the work that we're doing that can, you know, it might be an act, uh, active engagement type of measurement tool or might be something really simple as coming in and doing focus groups and really understanding where, what's on people's minds and what are, what's getting in their way uh, of, of delivering even better than they are today. Yeah, and and you know those are kind of uh, those important tools. I know one of the things that I were looking getting ready for the show that I saw that kind of piqued my interest, and maybe you could talk a little bit deeper about this. Is you guys have something called the performance management reboot solution, yeah, um, do. you know, which is I, eh, probably something people try to do all the time, especially if they've had some bad management in there or they feel like management's gotten off of the main purpose or the goals of the company. So w- what is it that you guys do with that? And, you know, okay. the- Well, I love talking about that. I guess it's best to start um, with the statement that connects to what we've been talking about is that our traditional approach to performance management doesn't work. And I think nearly everyone is starting to come around to that conclusion. There's still some stragglers and some laggers. But um, when we look at, again, sort of the best intentions of what we've done with what we think of as traditional performance management, while the, the goals were the right goals, the experience that we've created and the outcomes are not matching all the effort and the work that we're putting into it. So what we really do is we, we first kind of work with clients to step back and say, let's look at what the three goals are for performance management. and. We think very clearly that there are three goals. You're trying to develop people, right? How do you build great careers and develop their skills and capabilities? You're trying to um, reward equitably. So how do we ensure that, you know, we have differentiated pay programs, that we're rewarding people for contributions, that people are paid fairly for, for their skills and capabilities, those types of things. And then we're trying to drive organizational performance. So back to the conversation we just had of connecting people to the goals of the organization. How do we make sure people are working on the right work and feel connected to that? What we think is while those are the three common goals for any organization, where that customization or uniqueness comes in is understanding how important are the relative priority of those three goals for a company. And so, you know, we use examples like you may take a nonprofit that doesn't really have a lot of money, so they put much more emphasis on driving organizational performance and connect and developing people because that's why people are there. They care about the purpose and they want to build a certain skill or have a certain experience in that organization. Where if you go into maybe a high-tech company, they may be on the bleeding edge of technology. They're trying to attract top engineers. They may put a lot more focus on reward uh, rewarding equitably and connecting that to driving performance. So if they're growing faster or selling more product or, you know, winning awards for their technology, how are they rewarding and connecting their employees to that? So what we do is come in and help clients think about those three goals, create specific design principles that map to those and help them understand sort of which of those three goals are most important and then start to think about what are the different tools or attributes or techniques that you use to deliver on that. 
And I think one of the problems we've had with performance management in the past is we've tried to deliver those three goals with one solution, mm-hmm. and it hasn't worked. So if we start to peel it apart and say, hey, let's start to think about these independently, let's start to really think across all the different types of experiences that we want to connect, you know, how do we connect people to the goals of the company? That may be a different work stream than how we're going to focus on development of our teams. And it may be a separate conversation, right? And we might start to pull some of these pieces apart that let us get more clear on that. So that's what we do. We come in to help clients, and we can move really quickly. What, what, what's important to you? How are you going to define that from a design principle? And then what, how are you going to configure a solution that picks up different tools and techniques that's going to meet that promise of those design principles? Well, and and uh, I think that's a, it's a, it's a, it seems like a pretty effective way to really dive in into that process and to help people. And you know, we're kind of talking the same language. And in, in the autonomy mastery purpose stuff really resonates with me a lot. Um, and, and getting people to understand that. In fact, we we just spent on a we did like a little state of the union call for my company last Friday, and we spent five minutes just kind of reviewing that again. You know, and and reminding everyone, hey. If, if you feel like things are not in, you know, you, one of these three buckets or more are, are broken in what you're doing, you know, say something, you know, get, or right. ye- yell and scream, please. <laughs> right. Shout at the top of the mountain. Top yeah. The Absolutely. Um, and yet people aren't, aren't, don't always think about it that way. And uh, it sounds like it's, it's great that you guys are able to come in and, and help, at least if people are recognized that something's not right um, and they can and they need help. Um, that they can come in there. But one of the fascinating things, and I'm kind of go a little off script here to kind of maybe ask you this, but I have found a lot, especially in my, even my own consulting stuff, a lot of the companies that come in and ask for this type of help are usually doing a pretty good job and they just, and they're looking to get a little bit better. And it's the companies that need the most help that are the least likely to come in and ask for it. Or, or to even if they do ask for it because maybe some outside source or board of directors is telling them they have to do it, that they're really not the least likely to, to actually absorb it and do it and, and make it happen. Do, do you guys see that kind of a thing where it's the best looking to get be- even better as opposed to the worst trying to you know at least get back to where they should be? You know, it's an interesting question. I've never really thought about it. But I, I think that um, I would say I see both, end of, both ends of the spectrum. And... Recently, I'd say we've had a number of, of clients who have called us who have said, look, we realize we really suck at this. <laughs> and they may be really good at something else, mm-hmm. but they haven't ever invested really in their talent and defining their people strategy in any of that. And so they're high-performing in one element of their business, but maybe not in that. In that. And, and they start with a, at a really low maturity level, and we really build them a framework and a foundation to grow from. So I see that, and then I see exactly what you're saying, where we have organizations that are really pretty darn good and want to take it to that next level. Like, okay, we understand. Like, we did a big project for a client last year that the CHRO right up the front, out front, said to me, "Look, nothing is broken, but we know that we need to go to that next place. That the company's growing. That we have expectations from current and future employees that we need to meet." Right. So how are we going to get there? And so I think you really see, you see both. But to your point, probably what we kind of miss is some of those in the middle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like it, it. It almost drives me crazy when I you talk to those people because they need the help the most. They could take their company right. from just being mediocre or barely hanging on to being pretty successful. And 
Right. They they just don't get it. They don't see it. They've got you know blinders on or whatever it may be, and now nah, we're fine. And so, you know. Yeah, it's funny because even that word "we're fine" um, when in the performance management content, I actually wrote a little section in there called "Our performance management is fine," and I poke at that a little bit because you know. Would you? I don't think that's a really great word. When someone says to me, "Oh, it's fine," it sort of says I'm settling, right? I'm settling for right. as it is. And when it comes to your people and your talent, do you really want them to be fine? You know, it's like I don't think so. But it, it, people do use that that word, which I always find kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty big indicator. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, you talked about performance management. I know you recently published a book, How Performance Management is Killing Performance and What to Do About It. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how how do people break away from this old school performance management to something that maybe works more effectively? You know, maybe that's give us a little, little, little taste here of what the book is about. Yeah, well, I think the, what is it, the, first, the first step is realizing you have a problem. Right. So uh, what I'm finding is that you really have um, some organizations, almost back to the conversation we just had, that are saying, like, this isn't working. Like, we've tweaked and tweaked and tweaked, and it's still not working. We need to just put it aside and start something completely new. And they're excited about doing that and see that as a differentiator for them in the labor market, as a differentiator for how they're going to create great experiences for their own people. And then I think you have some clients who are sort of getting forced into it, like, oh, our competitors have all done this, so we better do something. Right. Um, and but what we're finding is most clients really don't, um, to your question, know what to do. Like we know we have a problem, but how do we get started? And that's where you know I think we first start with really an education process of let's understand when we look at what we've done before around traditional performance management, what's what hasn't worked. And so we talk about the eight fatal flaws of traditional performance management. And then we say, okay, now let's let's move to the positive side of the world and let's talk about what are the shifts that we need to make to make it work? And we look at all the things that have happened in this um, knowledge worker kind of world that we're in, this crazy, um, volatile, you know, world, the multicultural, global, you know, always on, like all these things that have changed in how we work. And let's think about what those expectations are now for how we think about performance management. So we call those the eight fundamental shifts. And then from there, we go back to what I was saying earlier, is really get clear on those three goals and what's the, what are your design principles, and then start picking. We think of it, we use the word configure your solution because we do think of it as like, what are the different tools or techniques you're going to use? You know, So you, you can think about goal setting. Well, how do we want to do that? And who's going to participate in that? And what's the cadence and the timing and the frequency on that? And is there a rating or metric associated with it or not? And does it connect to performance? Uh, to payouts or not, you know, so you start to kind of, okay, let's talk about mentorship and coaching and what are we going to do there and are we going to make new investments in that space and think about, so we start to kind of pull it all apart and say, you know, let's get clear on where we want to go and then let's pick the best mechanisms and tools to get us there. Well, it sounds like a great book that uh, people should check out. Um, and I know we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure we ask one of our other favorite questions, and that is, is there a book that you're reading right now that you might uh, suggest our, our listeners check out? <laughs> well, uh, I, I have to confess, on, on business books, I just purchased Buckingham's new book, The Standout 2.0, 
but I haven't cracked that one open yet. It's sitting on my desk here ready to read. So a preemptive um, uh, 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 approval. Preemptive strike, yeah, but I uh, I have to confess that after having been, I just, you know, just finished writing my book, I've fallen back into my fiction a little bit. So I'm currently in the midst of the fourth Elizabeth Salinger series, The Girl in the Spider's Web. All right. Well, we always get uh, just this huge range of different types of books that people are into. Um, maybe 50% are the business books, and then we get a lot of fiction, and we get biographies and history books, and it's just kind of just it's super fascinating what people are reading to kind of keep their brains, uh, you know, right. well, tuned in and thinking about things. Don't you think you learn from all of those? You do. You do. Yeah. I think for sure. I mean, yeah. I, I have found so many things that I have transplanted from the whole Harry Potter series. Just mm-hmm. in, into things, you know. I mean, there's just. Oh, I. Yeah. I'm with you. I talk to clients all the time about um, the uh, dementors. Yeah. And talk about within organizations when you have a dementor, because we all we've all had them. You know, the ones that suck the soul out of you. <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 always fascinating, especially if they've seen at least seen the movie or something, right? They can talk right. talk to it. So, we right. we asked a poll question the other day to our my employees just for fun and we said what would your patronus be and you know i would say two-thirds of them were gave pretty good answers and the other third had to go look it up and then they put in something because they hadn't read the books you know they didn't know oh so. that's too funny <laughs> i've never thought of that question i'll have to think of that one yeah it's it's a fun one you know what animal would it end, would it come out of the other end so anyways um it's really enjoyed having you on the show today really appreciate you being here how can people get a hold of you or learn more about people firm well, anybody can email me at mtcmothertomcharlie at peoplefirm.com or go out through um, the tribe at peoplefirm.com or at our peoplefirm.com website. Lots of ways to reach us. Fantastic. And, uh, again, we'd love to have you come back at some point. Give us an update. It was a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. I'd love to come back. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you again to both my guests. Uh, hopefully, uh listening today you gain something that you can use in your own career in a positive way uh, next week i'll be joined by kevin uh, sheridan author of the virtual manager and uh kyra oh boy kavanaugh kavanaugh maybe i'll i've used a script someone's name at least once so there we go i owe paula nickel and uh, the president of life meets work tune in live here and uh check us out uh, on the web until then do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today You've been listening to Sound Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2.